0: That word in the Greek is doulos is the word and it means to be a slave and it's speaking about being enslaved to the elements or things of this world and there are people who are enslaved to so many things. Um, They often seek it as an escape or to find happiness but Paul tells us the truth it's just bondage.
1: from God's
0: word. We're in Galatians chapter 4. We've been looking through the epistle of Galatians for several weeks now, and it's really a, a book where Paul is just writing and pouring out his heart to the churches that he had helped found in the region of Galatia, And so, now, uh, this is a region. It's not a specific church. It's many churches in a region. Just like here in Lake County, we have, you know, hundreds of churches in Lake County, and it would be as if Paul was writing to all of the churches of Lake County. He had heard something that was going on uh, within the churches, and there was this thing early on. It didn't take long after the, the birth of the church, after Christ ascended into heaven. It really didn't take long for... Um, Judaizers, Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, coming behind the apostles and the missionaries and preaching that in order to really be saved, you have to also be circumcised and keep the law or keep the Ten Commandments. And uh, Paul is just writing uh, this letter, really, a theme, one of the themes, I believe, the theme of the Epistle itself is that of liberty, the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus, that you don't have to be held under the bondage of the law. And he'll use that word bondage in our text today. We have discovered, as we closed out last week, the purpose of the law. The law, it tells us in verse 24 of chapter 3, was a tutor to bring us to Christ. And so, all that is written in the law, and what we could say is the up to this time, the Old Testament, everything that came before the New Testament, Jesus would say, all these things point to me. And so these were given that we would, one, come to realize our need for Jesus Christ as our Savior. Number two, um, they were given to help us to understand God's righteousness and our unrighteousness. And, and there's just this overwhelming fact that most people believe a majority throughout the world that their own precious goodness will get them to heaven. They think that they're just going to take all the good that they've done and stand before a holy and righteous God who has never, he only knows sin because he knows us, but he himself has never sinned, never failed. And they're going to think in their sinful condition and state that they would be able to stand before a righteous God based off the good things that they've done in their lives. Really, the law, the Ten Commandments, we can take it back to, um, you know, thou shalt not have no other God before me, thou shalt have no graven image, or thou shalt not kill or steal or commit adultery. uh, These ten that the Lord gave us, they were to really point and show us that we have an inability to keep them. We can't do it. So we need help from the outside. And that help that came from the outside is God Himself through Jesus Christ. Now, it also taught us as we closed out last week that we are all sons of God. And so we could say here today, sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And there was this uh, balance between the law and between faith. And and Paul was saying that the law was good. It was necessary. It was a tutor, a schoolmaster to point us to Jesus. But once we have faith in Jesus, we don't need the law anymore. Now, he's never saying that. We can do whatever we want once we believe. Paul deals with that in the book of Romans. We have an accountability to live good lives before the Lord. But what are you saying for salvation itself is that Christ is sufficient. Christ is all you need. And the Judaizers were coming and saying, yeah, Jesus is good, but you also need to add this. But then he began to teach as he closed out. And we're going to pick up with that in verse 1 of chapter 4. About being the family, part of the family of God. So he closed out in verse 29, and if you are Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so we're part of the family. The promises that God gave to Abraham that through your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That relationship that God had with Abraham came, as Paul has proven to us in chapter 3, through his faith, not because of the law. The law didn't exist for another 645 years. But in the same way, it is our relationship comes through faith. And as believers, we're part of the family. And I love that. It's unexpected to me. It's an unexpected blessing that we're going to look at that we can cry out to the Lord, Abba, Father. In verse 1, it says, Now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. And so an heir simply meaning the one who is going to inherit the parent's property. You know, here in the United States, we... Uh, used to be farming communities. I know there's still farms out there. A lot of those farms are even owned by corporations. There's not as many family farms as there used to be here in the States. But this country was pretty much birthed with family farms. And it was expected that the family would, you know, take over the farm, a son, a daughter, someone would rise up and and take that possession and care for the land that their father or perhaps grandfather or even great-grandfather began to build for his family the sense of the inheritance very present in uh, biblical days but in a family where the heir the firstborn son we will say he's there but he's only three four five even seven eight nine years old He's just running around. He's playing with even the slave children, and they're just having fun. They're just kids. And you really look at them, unless there's a difference in their skin tone, you wouldn't even know the difference between one or the other as far as the children are concerned. He's the heir of all, but he differs not at all from the slaves. He, I have this picture in a sense that we don't practice slavery here in the United States anymore. As a nation, I know there is rings of slavery here in the States. My son lives on the island of Kauai, and back in uh, July or August, they had uh, busted one very large slavery ring on the island of Kauai. I mentioned it to my son when he was here in August, and he said that must be on the west side of the island, um, which it's not as populated over on that side. Sad, but it still exists to this day. But I have this image of children and slavery or slave children. I like Westerns. And so in the old Westerns and movies like that, you'll find that, you know, he's the young child, he's the heir of the household. And yet he's running around, he's playing with the slave children as they're just brothers running around having a great time. Uh, Tom Sawyer would be a, a good story illustration of that. But there was a time when that person comes of age. When he's a child, he doesn't differ at all. In verse 2, as a child, it says, but he is under guardians and stewards until the appointed time by his father. And so he's under a guardian or a steward, schoolmasters and overseers over the property until dad says, you're of age, it's time. Now in the Grecian and Roman empires, it was customary that there would be a day where dad would have... A coming-of-age party. On One day, he's just my son. He's just a child. On the very next day, he's a man. Uh, With the Jewish faith, we know that as being bar mitzvahed at the age of 13. Now, there's something about that when they bar mitzvah their son. And then there's also a term, I can't think of it, uh, for the daughters um, at a, a separate age. But when they do this, what they're saying is that that child, I am no longer responsible for that child's salvation in the sense of prior to the age of 13 for a boy, if I, I have to stand before God for the salvation of that child, he's my responsibility. He's under my tutelage, my care. But once he's bar mitzvahed, he stands before God himself. He is a man, and he'll give his own account. And so there's this sense of this coming of age when the time is proper, appointed by the Father or by a certain age or society here in the United States, I, I think we keep trying to move that age further and further back. And they talk about, you know, girls around the age of 23 to 25, they kind of get their act together. And guys, they're 28 to 30 or something before they get themselves together. And it's like, you know, we keep pushing that further and further back. Man, I I knew as a teenager, when I hit 18, I was free. (laughs) In fact, when I hit 18, I was married just a few short months after that. And uh, I wasn't underneath mom and dad any longer. But I desired that freedom in myself. I wanted the freedom. And so, at the appointed time of the Father, we're kept under guardians or stewards. Verse 3, even so we... When we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. And so now he's comparing uh, the church to their time before believing in Jesus Christ and then becoming an adult or a believer in Jesus Christ. And that's the comparison that he's making here, is that before you were a believer in Jesus Christ, you were being held in bondage by the elements of this world, and there's I think many of you could testify that before you came to faith in Jesus Christ that you understand that word of bondage. That word in the Greek is uh, that of doulos is the word, and it means to be a slave. And it's speaking about being enslaved to the elements or things of this world. And there are people who are enslaved to so many things, Um, enslaved to uh, their work, success, um, enslaved to a culture, a lifestyle, to alcohol or to drugs or to sex, just in bondage. And it's, in a sense, the driving force of their life. They often seek it as an escape or to find happiness. But Paul tells us the truth. It's just bondage. And so before you were a believer, verse 3, When you were children, you were in bondage under the elements of the world. Verses 4 and 5, I love these verses, but he says, When the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You know, when I first looked at those two verses, this is just like, these are classic Paul. And if you were going to have... A passage that you would want to hang maybe on your fridge or keep in your car or get memorized. Uh, Those two verses are verses that you'd want to have down. When the fullness of time had come. When I first looked at these, I thought, what could I add to that? What can I add to it? And honestly, there's not a lot that I can add to it. But as I looked at it, I broke it apart. And... uh, You know, the skills of studying the Bible and just looking at Scripture. You want to break down phrases and and what's he speaking about? And so I began to break the uh, two verses apart. And I came up with a few points here that is just a statement of Paul. When the fullness of time had come, point one. Number two, God sent forth his son. And A and B to that is that he was born of a woman, A. Number B, he was born under the law. Point three, the reason God sent forth his son, A, to redeem those who are under the law, and B, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so when the fullness of time had come, I know that our world teaches that the earth and creation and all this has been around, um, I guess the creative earth, I could say, has been around for billions of years. It used to be millions of years when I was in grade school. Instead of actually finding the truth, they tend to like to expand the time. But what we do know from, according to the Word of God, that we have 6,000 years of recorded history from Genesis um, up till now. Right around 6,000 years of recorded history. And, and you can't go outside of that in any uh, society. We still have right around 6,000 years of recorded history. They say that, Man has been on the earth much longer, but there has been no defined proof of that from any written text that's been discovered. And so from the fullness of time, and we could say it this way, for 4,000 years of history of the earth that we know according to the word of God, in the fullness of time, Christ came 2,000 years ago. We're looking back at the event now. But there was 4,000 years of of history where God said, this is time. Jesus Christ is coming. This is the time. This is the fullness of, of time. The law was given right around 2,000 years. And Jesus came right around 4,000 years. But Jesus said, in other words, in God's perfect timing, Jesus Christ came. It was God who sent forth his son. And I love this a couple of verses in 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, In this is the love of God. It was manifested toward us that God sent His only begotten Son in the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He had loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. So it's God who sent, but He He sent Jesus born under a woman and born under the law. Now, the very first prophecy concerning Jesus Christ is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God was cursing the serpent and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. I like the King James reading on that um, even better, because they put in the word for bruise, crush, that Jesus is going to crush you, Satan. But that's the very first prophecy. Prophecy we have concerning Jesus, and it refers to the seed of the woman. And we know in Isaiah 7:14 a very famous Christmas verse that we uh, quote around Christmas time every year. Therefore, Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So he is born of a woman, but he is also born under the law. And Luke 2.21 tells us on the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised according to the law of Moses. He was born under the law. And Jesus himself said, I, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets in Matthew 5.17, but I came to fulfill them. So he's born under the law, but Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law the requirements of the law. And the reason of the Lord's coming was A, to redeem those who are under the law, to free us. You think, wait a minute, John, I'm not Jewish. Neither am I. But I do know the bondage of the elements of the world. I understand what it means to be enslaved to sin. And that's why Jesus came, to free us from that slavery. And number two, that we were adopted as sons, or we would say as sons or daughters. This is one of the amazing things uh, in the Bible to me. Because I I picture the simplicity, uh, not easy for Christ, but we can kind of picture the simplicity of redeeming a lost world to the Lord. That's not difficult to do. But to take the redeemed world and to make them part of the family, well, that is something that is even more amazing to me. Let's look at it this way. Let's say that we want to do a mission work for the Lord for a week. We're going to go to the inner city of Chicago and we're going to help anybody that we can find. And so in a sense, we're going to the inner city of Chicago to redeem those who are under bondage, just to help them out, to do whatever we can do for them during that time. And the week is over. Do you think we would load up the buses and say, now, you know, I've had such a great time with you guys this week down here. I just want to bring you home. I want you to be part of my family. Now, I could see us going to the city and and helping. I doubt if too many of us would bring the city back home with us. We would rather say, you guys stay there, and now we'll go home. We've did our part. We've done our good. I hope you're better off, but I'm going home now. I had mentioned earlier I was in Africa in February, and I was there for only 10 days in Sudan. And during those 10 days in Sudan... Beans and rice was the main food that we had. You try to experiment as much as possible with the ingredients that were given to us to make the beans and rice taste better. They did have ketchup and pickles and hot sauce, peanut butter. I brought out a jar of peanut butter one morning that I brought with me and by the afternoon, I came back for lunch and it was gone already, you know. Beans and rice, peanut butter, much better. But what I discovered, even um, our, our beverage was warm water out of the well. You know, after seven days of that, of that diet, you're just done with it. You're not done because you've got to keep eating, but you're done with it. There was a, a guy who had been there up to that point. Um, he had been there six weeks, and he's from the States. And every time we'd sit down, he'd start talking about steaks. I said, you're just making yourself miserable because he's just dreaming about when I get back to the States, this is what I'm going to do. And this is a big boy. And uh, no doubt, that's what he did. But it was also good for me to leave that there. I mean, if it was my life, it was my life, but it's not. We went to help. We went to redeem, we could say. But then to make... The people in Sudan or there in uh, Chicago, to make them part of our family. This is what Christ, God the Father, is willing to do for each of us. Not only do I want to save you from eternity in hell, God says, I want to make you part of the family. And that is amazing to me. I feel like the prodigal son. When he went and left home and spent all his inheritance, his wealth, and he was feeding pigs in the pig pen... And was looking at the pea pods, which is a, a pod that grows on a tree over in that region that um, has some sense of nourishment in it, but it's not meant for. It's actually a drought food. You have nothing else. You can eat this. And he was looking at that thinking, I'm hungry. I'll eat that. And then he thought of his father's house and how the slaves there had bread to eat. He says, I'm going to go home. And tell my dad, and this is what he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And nevertheless, when the prodigal came home, his father embraced him, kissed him, put clothing upon him, put a ring on his finger, and put shoes on his feet, killed the fatted calf. He had a stake. And he said, my son was dead, and he's now alive. He was lost. He's now found. Now, I feel like that prodigal, Lord, good enough just to be included in heaven and excluded from hell. That's good enough. And and the Lord said, no, it's not. He said, I want to make you part of my family. I want to embrace you. I want to kiss you. I want to put on the clothings of the righteousness of Christ. I want to put the ring of sonship upon your finger. I want to clothe your feet with the gospel of peace and say to you, welcome home, my child. You were dead, but now you're alive. You were lost, but now you're found. He wants us to be part of the family. And so much so that we get to cry out, Abba, Father. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to look through it this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would understand that freedom that's in Christ. That if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. No things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Lord, we don't have to be held in the bondage of the past. But Lord, you are offering before us through faith in Jesus Christ, freedom from the bondage of sin. And I pray, Lord, that there are those who cry out for that freedom today. Perhaps, Lord, someone needs to cry out, Abba, Father. Perhaps, Lord, they've only had this relationship with you that you're God, you're the big guy that's going to rule and judge, but you're not daddy. And, Lord, you're saying, yeah, I am, and I want to be close. I want to draw close to you here today. So call me Abba Father. Call me Daddy, Daddy. Or finally, Lord, perhaps, Lord, there is just that desire to understand that the relationship that we have with you, that we are those who have been drawn back into the weak and beggarly elements of the world. We've went backwards, and maybe you're saying, come home. Welcome home. Whatever work you desire to do, Lord, we pray that you would work in our midst this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847 847- 2650646 that's 8472650646 thank you so much for joining us today and may the lord richly bless you as you worship him today